San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB, you can hear us as on uh, any device as this show is, airs. And all these podcasts are commercial-free on iowamoney.com, and we are free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. And now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinary. He's an accomplished marathon runner, best-selling author, a philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high net worth families. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing good, Joe. I'm recovering from the rock and roll half marathon where I paced my wife, Mary. Aha. Uh-huh. Last well, week. That was, that was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago. Though, yeah, a couple so. weeks ago. <laughs> Takes great. me a long time to recover. Yeah. <laughs> Well, good. I'm good. not as young as I used to. Yeah, be. good to know. Well, at least you're still running, and I know. Yeah, there was we, a, we ran that on one day's notice. Now there were thirty thousand people, and they didn't 30, all run 000. the marathon. There was like a half, and there was also a. Um, yeah, a I think about three quarters of the people run the half marathon. Maybe one quarter. Wow. Are dumb enough to run the full? Well, I, t- I had him meet with Bob Babbitt a while back. By the way, he wants to. He be was on, running in costume. Yeah, he wants to be on this show. So uh, we had a little chat uh, a few days ago. Okay, he could be on our show, and then we'll be on his show. That's what I suggest. I've been on his show. I suggested that, Richard. I've been so on, I think, twice. Your producer is on it, my man. Cool. <laughs> anyway, um, I asked him if Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall, you know, the two big mm-hmm. Hollywood people, were original investors. And he said yes, and Wilt Chamberlain and a, and a bunch of other big names. So uh, we're going to have to get some history on that on that uh, marathon when uh, we get I to love Wilt. Of, yeah. <laughs> the late Wilt Chamberlain. Loved. But, um, and in any case, I hope a lot of our listeners got out to Town & Country, the AARP event last Wednesday, to hear Dick Van Dyke speak. He was the keynote speaker, and it was just uh, terrific to have him in town. And, um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But, look, we've got uh, a lot of information to cover in this show. And in studio, we have a professor from San Diego State who's done a, who's written a book, research and written a book, on a, a good mutual friend of ours, and um, the late Midge Costanza. And we'll explain more about why she was so important. And in studio, we'd like to welcome Doreen Manley to our show. Welcome to the show, Doreen. Hi, thank you so much. Our, our absolute pleasure. So... Well, before we get into the book and Midge, and I know it's a huge project that you've been working on it six, seven years now, or maybe more, right? I'm a little over seven. Mm-hmm. Seven. But uh, tell us about yourself, uh, born and raised where, educated where, and how you got to San Diego State, and, and then how you met Midge, and we'll just flow it that way. All right. I'm from the Central Valley of California, from beautiful downtown Turlock. And, <laughs> That's where my uh, dad was born. <laughs> really? <laughs> Seriously. Oh, <Wow>. my. <laughs> yeah, Turlock, California. It is. Went to Turlock High. I did, too. Go Bulldogs. Wow. Well, your dad was an educator also, so that's interesting. My late father, Turlock. Must be some good... Your dad was an educator in Turlock? Uh, Well, no, actually, he was superintendent of schools out in Lakeside here in East County for many years. Okay. Anyway, raised in Turlock. Raised in Turlock, and then I went to Berkeley, and so the whole world opened up for me, and... Mm. um, so did my dad. This yeah, is really? <laughs> All right. It's the exodus. All right, why don't you talk at the break and let's yeah, do Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I keep interrupting. I got to tell you something about me I bought a dad. chihuahua from Turlock, did I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, then I, yeah, I went to Berkeley and UCLA, and, and I did a PhD at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts. I ah. happily came home to California uh, for the job at San Diego State. I'm an associate professor of women's studies there. Mm. And I met Midge um, 
in 2004 when she wanted to teach a class at San Diego State, but she didn't ever graduate from college, never attended college, so uh, she couldn't teach a class, with a, but she could co-teach with a regular instructor. Or lecture, uh, and, and of course we know that. Well, I guess we got to tell a little bit about Midge now and her illustrious history, and, and she was born in Buffalo, right? And She was born outside Rochester. Rochester. She's from Rochester, Rochester, New York. Yeah, and that's where she lived. Uh, until she went to the White House, so she was a Rochesterian. So let's. Uh, so the name of the book is. Let's give the name of the book. A feminist in the White House. Uh huh. And, and what's the website of the book? Well, it's, the, a, it's, it's on Amazon. It's and on all. Amazon okay. and on the Oxford yeah. website Oxford, as well, because okay, it's, it's published okay. by Oxford gotcha. University Press. And of course, the, it was just published May thirty-one, and the subtitle is Midge Costanza: The Carter Years in America's Culture Wars. So, but but Midge was from Rochester now. Talk about, I know she told me some of her early history, running for office there. I mean, the first woman to do almost everything and anything. Right, right. right. So describe those times in, in, for our audience there. Yeah, so she was an active volunteer in the Democratic Party, vice chair of the county party, in fact. She worked as an executive assistant for a property developer. So she was a kind of in the world of property development, the world of democratic politics. Mm-hmm. And she got frustrated um, with... You know, men always running for office and women always being behind the scenes. And she ran successfully and became the first woman on the Rochester City Council. And that was what what year was that? That was 1972. Okay, there you go. So, so she covered a lot of turf in the 70s. So she did follow follow her from Rochester. So she served on the city council and she served on the city council. And in 74, she was drafted to run for Congress. And mm-hmm. this was in the height of the Watergate sure. investigation. Mm-hmm. And even though it had been a safe Republican seat, they thought a Democrat might be able to win. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Carter, who was chair of what was then the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, it had a different acronym at the time, mm-hmm. came out to Rochester to campaign for her. They thought it was a seat they might be able to flip. What was he doing? Is he still governor then? or uh, what was No, he? because you can only be Georgia governor one term. So oh. he had termed out and he was just being chair of the of the campaign committee okay. and building the framework for his run for president by huh. kind of making friends in every state mm-hmm. and he made friends with midge they became fast friends mm-hmm. and then he later called on her and he, she was co-chair of his new york state campaign when he ran for president mm-hmm. now that didn't she also uh, was she involved with bobby kennedy early on too or? yeah earlier she uh ran bobby kennedy's uh senate campaign in upstate new york she was a kind of behind the scenes politician mm-hmm. for a long time very well respected in New York state politics mm-hmm. in upstate. So obviously, uh, everyone knows the ending of the story. Jimmy Carter gets elected, 76, right, right. and he contacts Midge and tell him what happened. So he invited Midge. She was actually the last of his senior advisors that he brought, that he asked to come to Washington on, on Christmas Day and uh, asked her to come and be his assistant for public liaison and mm-hmm. said that I want you to be my window on America. I want you to bring the perspectives and opinions and concerns of Americans to me, especially those that are disenfranchised, mm-hmm. that usually aren't heard in Washington. Mm-hmm. And so she came to Washington, had the president, had the office next to the Oval Office, and was a very um, highly visible symbol of an open presidency. And it's the first time a woman had served yeah. as a sitting advisor to, or advisor to a sitting president, right? That's right. It took till 1977. So how about that? That's Talking right. about Virginia Slimson coming a long way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Come a long way, baby. But Midge, 
was a firebrand, had a dynamic <laughs> personality, was getting, I remember she was on Good Morning America and was getting a lot of publicity herself. Yes. Uh, she was she was such an entertaining speaker, but intelligent, you know, a Muhammad Ali-ish type person. That's right. And um, and they met. I have a great picture of the two of them. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Is that in the book or not? Is no, it, that one's not in the book. All right. Well, we'll have to dig that one out somehow, get it on our website. But um, anyway, uh, now the... The book is, I, I know you get into the rise and fall, because Midge was so popular, I think she was, I think some of the people in the cabinet were jealous of her. I think Griffin Bell, she had a run-in with the Attorney General, right? She frequently locked horns with the Attorney General and most of Carter's male advisors. Because, you know, on top of being the only woman at that level, she was a real working-class Sicilian, you know, property development and management, mm-hmm. machine democratic politics. She was a real working-class, street-fighting kind of politician. Mm-hmm. So it, there was gender, there was class. There was that she was from New York and mm-hmm. everybody else was from Georgia, mm-hmm. so she was a regional outsider. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she locked heads with most of the others in the Carter White House. Well, kind of like the, when LBJ was VP and uh, you know, and the Kennedys or Massachusetts, they mm-hmm. had they had a cultural cl- clash as well. Exactly. So, but um, anyway, so yeah, so they I know she had a she told me a story where she just goes out to the White House lawn, out to the gate. There were some people protesting or something, and she says, "Well, come on into the." She waved them all in and into the White House. I don't I don't know what the group was. It I was could, Women's Strike for Peace. Yeah, yeah. And she marches them right into the White House, no clearance, right? And uh, it's yep. unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> She did that kind of thing a lot, and that's why people loved her. People on all sides of the political spectrum, they loved Mitch Costanza because she would just say it like it was. She was just like she was when we knew her when she lived in San Diego, big-hearted. You know, she felt the White House, her job was to open up the White House, and she did. Yeah, but she's only there for a couple of years, and I know we're we're coming up on our break pretty soon, so I don't want to get into that too much. Actually, we'll come up break right now. So we'll come back with Doreen Mattingly about her great book about Mitch Costanza in a few minutes. Hang on. All right, we're back. We're in the West Wing, the East Wing, the West Coast of the West Wing, whatever. We're, we're back. actually in the West Wing of KFMB. <laughs> we are. We actually are. So. Any further, we'd be in the parking lot. So. <laughs> it's right next door, the parking lot. <laughs> and then we're back with Doreen Mattingly, who's written this wonderful book, A Feminist in the White House, about the illustrious and late Midge Costanza, whom we knew and loved. Um, book just got published in, in May 31, so it's hot off the press. I'm sure you're going to be making a, a bunch of appearances. I know there was one last June 9, but let's talk, plug the one on June 20 just for the heck of it. Yeah, the Democratic Women's Club of San Diego County has been kind enough to ask me to uh, to launch the book there. They're going to have a meeting on Monday, June 20th, and it's at a place called PANA, P-A-N-A. That's the Partnership for the Advancement of New Americans, 4089 Fairmont Avenue, in okay. City Heights. And and that's it, the 20th at 630. And we'll, is there a website we can, um, you know, we'll plug it on our website, too. If we'll, we'll get some more we information about that. About that. But Great. anyway, we, let, we, we last we should, left. We should get you in at Warwick's, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll try. I try yeah. Have they, Please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We've had some good success over there, right, Richard? Yeah. They let me do my Yeah, I, I got <laughs> my Rich, book. So. I got Richard in there. I got yeah. Bill in there. And, Bill uh, Walton was there, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I got Bill Lirac. But, uh, oh, Bill Lirac. That's right. Yeah. But anyway, well, so we'll work on that. So how long was Midge in the White House? Mitch was in the White House for 20 months. Okay, not quite two years. Not quite two years. Mm-hmm. She left in August of 78. What yeah. happened? What happened? She um, realized that she had no power left at all. Uh, essentially, she was asked to lie on a minor matter. She, uh, they canceled a show for her on Good Morning America, 
And uh, she wouldn't, they're like, tell them that you have a headache and you can't do it. And she said, I'm not going to do it. You cancel the show for me. And Carter uh, gave her a hard time for not lying about it. Mm. And she said, you know, once they're asked to lie, it's all over. And so, but by then she'd pretty much been pushed to the margins. In other words, the Carter White House said, cancel your appearance and make up this excuse to do it. And she said no. Because I know she was was on with David Hartman quite a bit on on GMA and, and other shows as well. But. Uh, she had a she had a difference of opinion on the B one bomber, right, or some other uh, policy matter that um, she did. Was, but that was not any that was not a major marginalizing issue for her because she didn't her area of responsibility didn't include anything having to do with weapons manufacturing. So when Muhammad Ali comes to the White House, was it at her invitation or no. the Carter invitation? No, but she would always, you know, she she loved Hollywood. And oh, yeah. she loved, you know, meeting all the famous people. And so whenever anybody famous was in the White House, Midge was right there for uh-huh. to meet them and get the photo op. So, yeah. Joe, I met Muhammad Ali. You did? When? He was running around Lake Murray many, many years ago when I was running around Lake Murray at the same time. Well, he was training in Ramona for that exactly. fight in Lewiston, Maine, I think, yeah. right? Yeah, he used to train in Ramona. We should oh. do a special. You know what? We've got a good contact on him, and we'll do a show on, okay. on Muhammad we Ali should. this summer um, in tribute to him. Because the there's so much to talk about a poet. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, um, so. Now, when Shirley MacLaine came to the White House, she did come to see Midge, though. Yes. She was good friends with Shirley MacLaine. Well, she went to work for her later, right? She did. She mm-hmm. went to L.A. after she left the White House. And, and for a period of time, among other things, she managed her higher self seminars. Hmm. That's right. Uh, she was, of course, Shirley was into the, um, not the occult so much, but. Uh, multiple like, lives. Multiple lives. Right. Li- yeah. Yes. Right. right. Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a whole other show another right show. there. So. If you can't win an Oscar in this life, well, maybe you can get one in your next life. Well, so. Midge lived enough life for several people. She we know did. we know that she. I mean, she had a, an unbelievable Rolodex and contactless. I mean, she can pick up that phone and call any VIP almost on the planet, right? I mean, she did. And in yeah. San Diego, she really used it for fundraisers yeah. for so many people. You know, it, people from L.A., people from Washington. She would bring them to town to you know promote and uh, raise money for the causes that she yeah. cared about here. And the thing about Midge, uh, and you know, anyone who knew her knows this is true. I mean, it didn't matter what your politics were. Yeah. She had many friends, uh, uh, the entire rainbow coalition of politics. She had you know, Mel Blair, uh, Mel Catsville Blair, you know, uh, Bonnie DeManis. Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have the same uh, political party after their name, but... Um, well, maybe Mel did. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, I mean, everybody. But every, Jerry Sanders, Ron he, Roberts, yeah. they were all her friends. I mean, if she threw an event, they'd all show up. Right. And you can tell by her memorial, her wonderful memorial town and country in, in, in 2010, at which you spoke, uh, you know, some of the moving remarks by, uh, the, you know, the district attorney. Of course, Midge went to work for, for Bonnie DeManis That's there, right. Right? In her right. in her later years. So. so did she make her way to Los Angeles after the White House? Or she was did. She, okay. That was where she went initially. Um, was to, was to L.A. She wanted to write her memoirs, which mm. is really what preoccupied her for the... I mean, I'm not preoccupied her. It's what she always said she was working on and you know. procrastinating doing Boy, did she for the rest file. of her life. <laughs> Tell us, folks, how many boxes and how many files she had. Oh, I mean, man. It's, uh, it's she had like over 300 boxes. She, uh, she took her papers from the White House. It became a felony after she did it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she does. She has her appointment calendar. Uh, yeah, she has her. Oh, comp- she had. I mean, I wrote. That's how I was able to write the book because I had access to all of these stolen White House materials. Which, where, where are those? Yeah, whose possession are those in? Yeah, they that- are now with the Carter Library okay. where they belong. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but they were first. They were uh, thanks to Lorena Gonzalez. We had a nice office at the Labor Center where yeah. we sorted them, and then they were in my garage. I, I was just praying I didn't I get saw, robbed. I saw the room. It was unbelievable. Think of your Bobby Riggs files times yep. twenty. Richard okay. or whatever. <laughs> oh, and she was <laughs> not. Clippings. I loved Mitch, but she was not the most organized person on the face of the earth. I will just say that. <laughs> no. Well, there's a method to the to the to the madness. I chose so. the days of paper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it exactly. Was. It was, yeah. Yes. Boy, was it ever? Boy, can I? Yeah. Not emails. Thank God. No. <laughs> no. No. No server downstairs. <laughs> someone told her to save all of her papers, and she took that very literally. So I had like wow. old parking tickets, American <laughs> Express bills. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Restaurant <laughs> receipts, tax exactly. returns from 1961. <laughs> right. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any cool memorabilia in there, like a signature from you know, Bill Gates or somebody? I don't know. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, she she seconded Carter's nomination at the Democratic convention in 1968. I have her podium passes. Probably the first woman to ever do that, too, probably, I would imagine. Who knows? Well, maybe Shirley Chisholm. I don't, I don't know. know. Back in the day. I don't but think that's true. But anyway, I have them. Yeah. I have her podium passes. Yeah. I have letters to her from, from Carter. Yeah. Um, and well, they uh, patched things up at the end, right? I mean, they were... Right? Somewhat? They met later, and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were good friends. They had a very loving friendship, but they yeah. meant a lot to each other. I think they let each other down. Yeah. You know, I they didn't leave on uh, shouting terms, but I think they both hurt each other. Yeah. And were disappointed in each other. But in later years, I think... Um I think they patched things up, right? Or I Car- they were very—they still cared for each other. Mm-hmm. Their paths didn't cross that frequently, but when they did the, have the chance to, um, they, you know, were happy to. He gave me an interview for this book, which huh. was really a sign of his respect for Midge, uh-huh. that he was willing to, you know, go on the record talking about her. Yeah. Now you mentioned the Muhammad Ali photo. Were there any uh, other photos that you came across that just that either shocked you or amazed you? That uh, here's Midge standing with uh, him or her. Or, uh, well, my favorite one is in the book, which is her with Bobby Kennedy, uh-huh. a very young okay. Midge and a young Bobby Kennedy, and that one is in the book. Yeah. Um, and so I was happy to see that. There's great pictures of her with, of course, Shirley MacLaine, uh-huh. and they were good friends. And, and Lily they, Tomlin also was a good friend. Lily, Lily Tomlin became a good friend when she yeah. moved to Los Angeles. She may want to come down here for one of your events. You know, I think so. she should. Yeah. She should come down here and do our show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think my dean thinks she should producer. come down here and do okay. a fundraiser too. Talk to your producer, which who Howard Dean? No, my dean. Her the dean. dean. Oh, you're a dean. <laughs> yeah, if we can get him out of the parking lot, if the students will let him to show up, you know, I heard about that whole incident yeah. with the with the president, yeah, yeah. President Hirschman. Oh, you're, oh, your dean. That's another one. Okay, yeah. who's who's your dean, by the way? So my dean is Norma Bouchard. She's okay. the new dean of the College of Arts and Letters. And, okay. And so she's also interested in Lily Tomlin. <laughs> oh, good, good, okay. good, good. Well, we'll work on that. But um, anyway, so, um, yeah, Midge was just, I mean, it's amazing that she cultivated those relationships with those notable people in all walks of life. She did. Academia, uh, you know, Hollywood, uh, finance, I mean. And people on the street. Since I've been working on this book for over seven years, and when people ask me what I'm working on, I tell them I've had so many people, and probably some of them are listening now, who say, Midge Costanza. And then they come at me with like this moving story of who she was to them and what yeah. she what she meant to them. And, you know, that's why she was able to be the first woman elected in Rochester, because she had that kind of connection. It was her hometown and she yeah. knew everybody. And she was that way in Rochester. Well, 
I mean, her quality, her speaking ability. She can speak. Yeah. Uh, she could fire up a room like no other. Matter of fact, Phil Blair was on this show and testified. To yeah, that. he, How he did testified you to that on he our show. I heard this. Yeah. I heard her speak somewhere. I said, I got to get to know this lady and have her coach me. And of course, she did coach a lot of people. And uh, when we come back after a break, we'll get into all the. Uh, she became a speaking coach and right. for for a lot of politicians and others. So anyway, we'll be back with Doreen Mattingly all about this wonderful book about Mitch Costanza right after this. Hang on. We're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors, as always, UBS with Michael Caranta and Drew Fetus. In fact, in fact Michael Caranta is in studio with us. He's going to thank one of our sponsors for us. Well, <laughs> when I get to them, it's a long list. Our favorite CPAs on the planet, Signature Analytics with Jason Kruger, CPA, a great CFO service. Also, Polito Epic CPAs up in San Marcos with Don Epic and Paul Polito. Speaking about making money, how about Joel Gruskin with Cost Segregation Initiative is helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Also, Brenda Geiger with the Geiger Law Office. Brenda just had a great continuing education event for about 100 professionals up at the Museum of Making Music. Brenda specializes in estate planning and asset protection. Our favorite bank, California Republic Bank with Sean Puckett and Lane Elliott, a niche market bank serving wealthy families and family offices. Neil Staley, representing Hub International, formerly known as Mars Maddox Insurance, an absolutely incredible employee benefits firm. Also, the LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's best clients. They just had a neat event up at Park Hyde RBR. I know Mike attended. What did you think about that event, Mike? It was a really good event. It was handled over three days. And if I can summarize it briefly, I would just say learning how to build better relationship with yourself and CPAs that you work with. Yeah, just a great event. I know we've got a big event with them coming up at La Costa Omni in mid-July. Also, Paul Hines, CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. Paul, of course, heads up the SeniorSafeAndSound.org initiative here in San Diego, helping to prevent financial elder abuse. Interest rates are still low. Are they going to stay low forever, Joe? Nathan Watkins with Worldwide Credit, an absolutely incredible mortgage broker. And lastly, if all of this makes you hungry, we can handle that too, right, Joe? Absolutely. Just get over to uh, Lestat's Coffee House, one of our favorite sponsors. They have three locations. Well, they'll, they should have their third one open by now. Soon. And, yes, but they're open 24-7, 365. Original site is in Normal Heights and University Heights, and so the one will be on University. Across from uh, the hub, I think it is now. It used to be called Uptown District, so I'm not really sure of the terminology. And then... Um, uh, also, the Berry Good Food Foundation, where we had uh, our wonderful event uh, last week, the 7th Annual Berry Good Night Dinner, uh, headed up by Michelle Lirac, and they're another wonderful sponsor, so we thank them. And I know they've all been all been working with Richard for 30 years or so, right, uh, all their sponsors? Except In the, some cases, almost that long. Except the last two are my sponsors. So. <laughs> oh, wow, we keep track that way? They haven't been around 30 my years. My sponsors and your sponsors? <laughs> Well, I mean, they, I mean, I'm just the stats wasn't around 30 years ago. I think it's only about 18 now or it's so. It's pushing 20. Yeah. yeah. Pushing 20 years. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, they're all hand-picked, hand-selected, and uh, all They're terrific. the best of brands. Yes. Absolutely. Not only here locally, but absolutely. basically west of the Mississippi. Speaking of the best, Midge Costanza was the absolute best. And um, So, so Doreen, how, how many years did um, she spend in Los Angeles, and how did she find her way down to San Diego? So she was in Los Angeles from the time she left the White House in 78 until 92. And she moved up to uh, San Diego 
uh, with her partner at the time who came up here for work. And uh, I think in San Diego was probably where she was happiest in her life. Mm-hmm. You know, where she was able to... How, how could you not be? Right, exactly. <laughs> I th- and I think the, 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 the painful parts of leaving the White House were far enough behind her sure. at that time. And she was able to kind of be a big fish in a slightly smaller pond. So what year did she move down here? Around oh. Uh, Two or three? No, it's 92. 92. She, she, I'm sorry. Her first uh, political gig was Barbara Boxer's Senate campaign. Oh, okay. Senate campaign. That's right. I remember that. And then yeah. she worked for Gray Davis, Governor Gray Davis for a while, too, I think, right? She was kind of an advisor to him for a bit. Right. Really, really, Len Schenck, who was Davis's chief of staff. And she uh. worked on Schenck's campaign and, uh, and then kind of worked for Schenck when she yeah. was in Congress sometimes as well. Now, Midge became friends with uh, an influential uh, person down here who passed away, Mary Gallinson, and... Um, how did they meet? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they met. Probably through the Democratic Party because yeah. they were both involved in some way. And, you know, some people, you just meet Midge on the corner and then you're friends for life. So Absolutely. They could have been in line at a deli. I don't you know. You want to hear the crazy way we met? I, uh, she was, I, I had a friend, uh, John Rourke, who, who was uh, an accomplished uh, actor. He was on Columbo and a bunch of things on ABC Fridays years ago. Did great impressions. Well, uh he did a great impression of President George W. Bush in the early 2000s. So I know there was this big North County Unity dinner somewhere with, a, I guess, a few thousand people up there. And I said, <laughs> I got wholesome. I said, um, I asked John if he wanted to come down from L.A. and do this thing. And uh, we actually bought a presidential seal of the United States and a replica and had it hidden away. And he came down. At the, he headlined this thing. And you know, after you hear these political speeches, he came out and did this impression of George W. Bush. We brought him through the kitchen. We had guys dressed up like Secret Service, and we played Hell of the Chief and the whole the whole deal. And he came out and did that. And uh, of course, I had a, I had a planet with Midge. Midge was running the show, and um, she said, "Okay, if you think he's, if you think this will work, well, every, you know, everyone's falling out of their chairs laughing. And of course, Midge had the best laugh of anybody." And we became fast friends after that. So, and then other we did other great things with her. The, the screening of Fahrenheit 9/11, the exclusive screening up at Ultra Star on a Thursday night before it opened to the public. She got that room filled with Irwin Jacobs and Phil Blair and, and any other every other VIP in town just just with a phone call, no written invitation, and it was just a magnificent night. Irwin Jacobs told me he flew from Washington that day to be at that event. That oh, night. wow. Yeah, he was on a plane all day. So Midge was very persuasive. She got me to write her book. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest tell, to her persuasive power. Tell powers. that story, uh, how you, the commitment you made <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, as yeah. she was passing away. Right, because she'd been after me for years uh, to help her with her memoirs, and I finally had started to do that to organize her papers, but I was not the person, you know, she was writing her memoirs, and then when she... Um, Got too sick, right? When she got sick, and she was actually already intubated, and she called me, and I don't know what she tried to say to me, but I said, Midge, I promise the book will get done. Mm. And that was the last time, that was, I think, one of the last times she was awake, if not the last time. And so, you know, the book really began with this deathbed promise. And so I took the work that I had done in terms of helping her with her memoirs, and I had a lot of student interns that were helping me. And uh, kind of shifted gears with it. Obviously, it couldn't be a memoir anymore. Yeah. And made the book that I that I wrote, the Feminist now, in the White you, House. Are you going to put this in your curricula, uh, curriculum, or um, I mean, this, you, you teach this in women's studies, right? That's I mean, right. Yeah. I will use it in a course I teach called Sex, Power, and Politics, mm-hmm. which was actually the course I taught with Midge. Ah. Right. So it'll be coming full circle to then assign the book about her and the yeah. course that I taught with her. Now, there must be some good video and film of her and, and the, her appearances, right, out there or somewhere? There are a couple good videos that we put up on YouTube mm-hmm. um, that you can look at her. And there was a video that was made uh, of her 
reflecting back on her life, yeah, about her beliefs and about what she went through, and so kind of it's a nice little uh, montage. Yeah. Now she was a great orator. No formal education. This just like a Muhammad Ali story, really. Yeah. I mean, it, yep. it, it just uh, percolated from her her genes, her who she was. I don't know where she got all this great you know skill she had a lot of energy joe yeah well i mean she did. but, but uh, her speaking style she'd start out i mean you had to see her work i mean she'd start out it's called you know, a crescendo yeah but she really knew how to at the last you know the fireworks president obama's pretty good at it too you know uh, uh, but staying the right words the right way with the right volume with the right passion with the right physical moves i mean uh, and she coached a lot of uh, politicians herself, didn't she? She did. She actually, in many ways, coached Carter. It was one of the things that Jimmy Carter really fell in love with her for, her speaking ability. Yeah. And when she um, seconded his nomination at Madison Square Gardens in 1976, he told his daughter, Amy, this is the best speaker you're going to hear tonight. <laughs> Whoa. Her friends would always say that he would, they, they would always tease Mitch, like, he's in love with you. Yeah. And, uh, but because of the way he would look at her when she was speaking, and he, Mitch would say, no, he just thinks I'm a good speaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, she was. I mean, uh, are there any politicians that, you, that come to mind that uh, she worked with that you can tell us about? Or uh, I know she did coach, or maybe they don't want to admit it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I know she did, she did work with a lot of people. They came to they came to her for advice and, and they did especially later you know in her earlier career she was mostly just fighting for a place at the table by the yeah. time she was in San Diego in the nineties I think you know the climate had changed and but I mean there were local people here a lot of local people yeah. here I think you know I I think that a lot of the county board of supervisors uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> were were coached in one way or another by her I mm -hmm. know Len Schenk mm -hmm. because I interviewed her for the book mm -hmm. you know talked about how much she learned. Uh, about public speaking. And I heard Lynn at a TED Talk, and boy, uh, she must have been paying attention because she's a pretty darn good public mm -hmm, speaker. Mm -hmm. so. She said that she, you know, she liked to have Midge warm her up. You know, <laughs> to warm up the audience, actually, before she talked, because Midge was such a stem winder. Yeah, she was. Uh, it was just amazing to watch. I, I you know, it just, just, well, obviously, she had that, that gift, and why Phil, Phil the Blair was attracted to her and, and, and a bunch of other people, so... And of course, then she got into uh, fighting financial elder ab abuse mm -hmm. and, and some other things. Right. So maybe yeah. we talk about that. But um, I know we're coming up on a break right now, aren't we, Justin? So why don't we fire up some music? We'll come back with Doreen Mangley talking about Midge Costanza and her book right after this. Wow. Does that ever get old? Midge must have heard that a, a jillion times, I'll bet. So that's for you, Midge. <laughs> You could have been president, probably. Anyway, we're back with Doreen Mattingly so, in the uh, home stretch. Doreen, here. Do, does Midge leave any family behind? She has a, a brother and a sister-in-law who are still alive in Rochester, okay. Tony and Sue Costanza, and mm -hmm. then several nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay. What would Midge think of uh, Donald Trump in the White House? Wow. <laughs> Or even near the White House. Even near the White House. <laughs> I think she'd be offended a hundred different ways by it and probably frightened. And uh, I think this whole election year, you know, Midge was a big believer in getting involved. Yeah. I think she had little patience with people who just wanted with one vote for everything to change and, and really believed in people being involved in the democratic process. Well, let me ask you this. Now, Jimmy Carter's mother was quite the outspoken uh, woman, and um, more so than Rosalind, I was the, than the first lady, I would think. Although Rosalind was also an opinionated and strong-willed yeah. first lady. Now, so did Midge get along with, uh, know them well or get along with them much, or didn't see them that much? She said to me, Rosalind really wanted to like me. 
But, you know, it comes back to that difference of region and class and culture, you know. You know, some of us Italians, you know, you, we're an acquired taste, you know what I yeah. mean? So come on a little strong once in a while. got to have three glasses of wine before you can like us, Joe. Hey, we got three Italians right in the room tonight. Exactly. This is wonderful. <laughs> Maybe Justin, too. Any Italian in your background, Justin, that you want to, that you want to admit to? But anyway. <laughs> Maybe Doreen, I don't know. Now Portuguese. Yeah. Now Midge was <laughs> That's close enough. Was, was Midge all uh, all Sicilian, or was her mother of different? Uh, no, she was all Sicilian. Oh boy. Uh, all, yeah, one hundred percent. And uh-huh. and her uh, her her father is actually born in the states, but but then went back to Sicily and grew up there. And so her oh. parents met in Sicily. Her mother never spoke English. Really. Mm-hmm. And she was raised in a Sicilian neighborhood. Her parents made sausage in the basement of their house. You mean her father went back? Did they? He'd been here as a child. The family had immigrated, and then they went back to Italy. And he grew up there. Okay, but when Midge was born, did they parents split? You mean or no, or no, no? no. no. They, he had when her father was a child. Okay, he had lived. He was born in the United States. The parents stayed married, right? Uh, when her time. father was a child. Okay, so her grandparents right. had been here working. Okay, but her parents met and married in Sicily and then migrated. Ah, yeah, and they yeah. had all their children uh, in Rochester, right outside in the in the town of Leroy. Well, at least they kept it under a twelve kids because a lot of families had four. Yeah, had four. That's that was a small four. family back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, um, well, the feminists in the White House, there may be another feminist in the White House, so we don't know yet in, in November, but Mijimus would have been excited about this uh, election. Yeah, she so. actually, I've, I don't know that she was personally crazy about Hillary Clinton, but mm-hmm. she did believe in the importance of uh, having women, particularly women with feminist values, elected. She worked mm-hmm. a lot, like with the local group Run Women Run, in terms mm-hmm. of trying to get women elected. Mm-hmm. At the time, she was involved with the National Women's Political Caucus when mm-hmm. she was in the White House, mm-hmm. and really put a lot of pressure on Carter to appoint more women. So she was a big fan of getting women elected. I think we need more women in the court, especially the Supreme Court, because to reflect the population, right, Richard? Uh, now, obviously, we do. We also need more women on boards of directors yeah. in this country. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, but judges, as far as um, you know, there's nine judges or justices. Uh, there should at least be four or five, depending upon. I mean, you can't get an even number, but the population of women to men, it's it's fifty fifty approximately, right? I mean, in this country, slightly it's, more women than. Men. Slightly no. more women, yeah. You got to admit, though. I mean, in business school and law school and a lot in a lot of uh, universities, the 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 women population has overtaken the male population in a lot of ways, right? Today, in law school and in certainly in undergraduate education, yeah. But then the higher up you go, you know, in any kind of organization, the fewer women that you have. Now STEM, now engineering. There's a place that could probably use more women, and uh, right, in computer science, you know, yeah, in, engineering, in sciences, and, and things like that. Biology is pretty well integrated at this point. Mm-hmm. It's the one of the it's the one science that women have made big gains yeah. in. Yeah, well, I know at Sanford Burnham uh, Brevis Medical. Discovery and Center, that's what they're calling it these days, but uh, a lot of women in, in you know, po- postdocs and in research, medical research, bio, biotech, um, so um, so it's a lot of opportunity out there now uh, that probably wasn't there 20, 30 years ago, right? No, for me, one of the most interesting things about researching this book was just to really realize how far we've come in terms of just the everyday grind of sexism that she encountered. Yeah. Um, and the kind of attacks that she suffered of, you know, the struggle to be the first woman on a city council and what she went through as a result of it. Yeah. And, the, and that we forget that it was in our, you know, in our lifetime that this stuff happened. 
and that a lot of women, it, it took a large toll on their life. Yeah, being the only one in the room, the first one to break the barrier, the glass ceiling, whatever, the Jackie well, Robinson. Yeah, she, she grew up in a time where basically her choices were school teacher, nurse, homemaker, secretary. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was basically the choices. Well, a lot then. of people remember the, the ERA now, it ultimately mm-hmm. failed, but uh, there's a, a, a lot of court protection these days to protect uh, gender discrimination and things like that, isn't there? Well, in California, of course, the the state made all laws ERA compliant after the uh, Assembly and House ratified the ERA. So in mm-hmm. California, we have protections people don't necessarily have in every state. Mm-hmm. The court has interpreted the 14th Amendment to extend to sex discrimination as well. And so there's been a lot changed in legal interpretation, even without the ERA. Yeah. Well, I know in the field of, you know, um, well, there's women's shelters. I've been to the Rachel Rovner shelter for women in, in and, you know, abused women and things like that. That's still going on today. And um, I don't know culturally how we how we change that. But um, there, is there any data as as to whether that's improving or not? Uh, I don't know. Domestic violence is so hard because the more that people rep- report it, mm-hmm. actually, it means we're doing better because when people don't trust the police and the courts, they don't report it. And yeah. so a spike in reporting actually means that people are safer because right, the, they trust the police. The whole battered wife syndrome. Right. That, and but, I, I don't know what we're going to do about that. I mean, as far as uh, get more awareness, I guess, you know, maybe neighbors will take a more of an active role and in, in, in whatnot. It but, was an uh, issue that for Mid, she was very passionate about. She grew up in a family in a violent home and she uh, did a lot of work in the White House. It was the first federal work that had been done mm-hmm. on de- trying to both pass domestic violence legislation and then work with HUD and some of the other offices to set up programs uh, for survivors of domestic violence. And, 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 and she was really a pioneer in that in yeah. Washington. And then she worked at the DA's office, so I know she was lecturing around town and, and um, encouraging groups and things like that. Well, what was she doing, doing with the DA? Tell us more about that. I think... Uh, when she worked for the DA's office, I know that she was concerned with elder abuse and that she did a lot of public speaking on that. And I also think identity theft. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, so she spoke around town. So was she touting new policies or procedures that the DA had put into place or we're not, we're not exactly sure? We, got, we ought to get Bonnie DeManis on the show, for gosh sake. Bonnie we, would be we, good. We, we could cover yeah. a lot of that material. So she'll probably be at one, of, one or more of your events, I'm sure right? she will be. Yeah, the book pretty much covers the time that Mitch yeah. was in the White House, yeah. and I bring her into L.A., but... Um, now there's a, mu- a women's museum. We we uh, I know we're past the date. It happened June 9th, but the the women's museum is Midge in there down at Liberty Station. Is this all famous women in San Diego? Midge is in the Women's Hall of Fame. So there's a San Diego ah. Women's Hall of Fame, and Midge was inducted to it posthumously. And that's in Liberty Station, right? That's right. And then your book signing was it there or yes, it was okay. right in there at their location in Liberty Station. Really okay. well attended. Okay. So Liberty Station is getting very crowded down there. I know there's a new Americans Museum for Im- immigrants. Is it somewhere near that location or not? Not sure. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot a of rest- ground to cover. At Liberty Station. The lot just opened. A beautiful, yeah. uh, you know, a movie theater and patio there. So uh, it's 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 really taken off quite a bit. So, but the, the, let's talk about the twentieth again now. Let's tell people. Uh, sure. Uh, It's going to be at what time and when? At 6.30 on Monday, June 20th, the Democratic Women's Club is sponsoring another book launch. So I'll talk about the book, read a little bit of it, and and sign copies. Good. And that's at an organization called PANA, um, P-A-N-A, at 4089 Fairmont Avenue in City Heights. That's 40th and Fairmont. There you go. That's where it is. So if they Google PANA, or we'll we'll try to get information on our website as well to help direct people. So, But... uh, Anything to wrap up, but boy, Midge's—I gotta tell you, Midge's laugh. 
Uh, you, you just had a lot. I don't know where she got this laugh from. This gravelly come from the Bon River feet, their toes, and just up through. Uh, I have a pretty good one, I think, but boy, Midge puts me to shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was looking through pictures recently getting ready for this event, and I, I miss her. Yeah. I still miss oh. her. Oh, don't we all? Lori Black, who will be on this show. That's right. Lori's coming yeah, up. Yeah, we'll talk more yep. about Midge with her. So, But anyway, Doreen, thank you so much. Thanks, Doreen. Really Good appreciate luck. it. Good luck with the book. Thank Looking you. forward to it. Richard, great seeing you. Michael Caranta, UBS, thanks for being in studio. Justin Hart, our board operator, thanks for making us sound terrific. Thanks to Craig Blanking, our account executive, and Dave Sniff, our programming genius here at KFMB. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iowamoney.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.